This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we walk through our series on worship. What is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? We all worship something, even if our worship looks like constantly catering to ourselves. However, if you ever want to enjoy the life you were made to enjoy, you've got to choose to get your mind off everything else and on to what it was truly meant to worship, God. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. We are continuing on the series, and this is the last one in the series of, of worship. Why we do it, what we do, what part we have in it, how we can actually be participants and not observers of worship. I hope that over these past, uh, I don't know how many it's been, eight, nine, ten weeks, that you have grasp something that will help you to be a participant in not some of the worship, but actually all of it. We can be a part of the prayer. We can be a part of the music, the singing. We can be a part of giving. We can be a part of the baptism. We can be a part of the Lord's Supper, what we want to talk about today. Um, It's one of those subjects that a lot of people may have questions about and a lot of times people are kind of up in the air on who should take it, who should not, should I, should I not, and looking at your own self and wondering if you are in a position to receive in the Lord's Supper. So, we always want to start with this one. Authentic worship is what? It's always God-centered. It's Christ-focused and it is spirit-led or spirit-filled. And we are continuing to look at the elements of worship as we have over the past weeks. It is critical if we are ever gonna come to the place and the point in our lives where we truly, truly enter into worship of God, we have to grasp every part of the worship service realize that we are not spectators, but we are participants in it, and we all have a part, and that's something that we all can do. These elements are part of our worship, and we see and see how we can participate in them more fully. And today we're going to look at the Lord's Supper and how we can participate in it. We do this every first Sunday of the month. Every first Sunday of the month. And so why do we do it? What is it all about, and how can we enter more fully into it? Questions surrounding the subject, should I take it, should I not? A lot of people ask that, and then I think some, you know, because it's it's really a serious thing, it's really serious, and people need to take it serious. But I hope during this message we can answer some of those questions. We've seen God speak to us us through words and in pictures. In the Old Testament, God shows us a picture of how he is going to fulfill and keep his covenant with his people. If you look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, he says, I will establish my covenant with you. He said, never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. 
Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, God not only gave us words, he gave us what? A picture, gave us something we can see. And if you like me, when I was, when I was in school, I liked the book with all the pictures in it. If you gave me a book with a whole bunch of words, uh, you kind of lost me. But if you put a picture in there every now and then, it helps you grasp and understand what was going on. And the Bible is full of pictures. I think too often we take the pictures as literal instead of what they're really meant to be. And in Genesis 9, 9 and 13, he says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Okay? Now, the rainbow is the visual seal of the promise of God. When I was a kid, they told us what? What did they tell y'all when you were children? Pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Okay, let me see. Let me see. How many of us are stupid enough to believe it and try to go follow it? Okay. I guess if you get to the end of it and you live, you look for that promise, that is a part of God. That we can be sure that God will not destroy the earth when we rain again. So every time we see rain fall of our rainbow, <laughs> it is a sign that God's mercy, God, it is a sign of God's mercy to sustain the earth by the rain and not his judgment to destroy the earth with the rain. The rainbow is God's visible word to us. So, when you see a rainbow, look, and you should see that that is God's commitment, his promise, his eternal word to the earth that he will never destroy it again with a flood. Okay? In the same way we're learning that God has given us promises of his seal to us in Jesus Christ and they are what? baptism and the Lord's Supper. And as I said last week, the whole of the Christian life can be summed up in these two things. It boils down to what? Taking a bath and having a meal. How many folks know that if you don't bathe, what's going to happen? Not only are you going to stink, eventually what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, you're going to catch something. I, I don't know about y'all, but if, if, you, if you go too long, something, something starts eating away at you. I mean, come on now. So, we need to be, we need to have what? A bath, and we always got to have what? Food. We got a meal. My inner life needs to be washed, and it also needs to be what? And Jesus is going to do both of them. He's going to wash me, and he's going to feed me. And baptism is the physical reminder 
of to the heart and mind of the believer. That is a picture. Now, back in the day, folks actually thought they were cleansed or changed by baptism itself, but not so. I've actually had people to tell me that people literally died and went to hell because they were baptized. I couldn't believe it, but, and then I had to tell them about the thief on the cross, how I don't believe he found baptism from where he, his, he was positioned. He had to die without being baptized, but yet Jesus said, Today shall you be with me in paradise. So it is what Jesus does and not what we do that actually cleanses us. Okay? So today we come to the other picture that God has given us. It is the seal of the promise to the heart and the mind of the believer, like the rainbow, like baptism, the Lord's Supper. The, rain, the rainbow does not stop the rain. It's a sign that God has mercifully stopped the rain. Baptism does not wash me, but baptism is a sign that what? Jesus has washed me. And the Lord's Supper is the same way. The Lord's Supper does not save me, but what? It's a sign of the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. And it reinforces to my mind, it should reinforce to my mind, every time we do it, my mind and heart what God has promised in his word. And we need this, why? If you think about when Jesus, God brought his people out of Egypt, and he, they were in the wilderness, every now and then God would tell them to do what? Establish a monument, to build a monument. Why did he do it? He says, so you can remember you can go back to this thing and you can tell your children at this place, this point, God did this. And this is what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do for us. Most people believe the Lord's Supper begins with an offering that we offer to God, that we're giving God something. We're offering it to him, but that's not the truth. Truth. This way, if, it's that, if that's true, it begins and ends with us. Okay? But the opposite is, it is something that God offers to us. Note it said, it is the Lord's Supper. It is him that's inviting. We're not inviting him, okay? It is not us trying to bring change to God, but God is seeking to do what? Bring change to us. God is speaking to us about the life that flows from the death of his son, Jesus. It is so important. It is so critical. It is about us offering. It, 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 it is about us offering something to God or what? God offering something to us. Listen, folks. Every person in this place and in this world have nothing, absolutely nothing that we can offer to God. Absolutely nothing that we can offer to God. It is God offering something to us. Anything that begins with man and ends with man is not biblical. You can write that down. Anything begins with us, ends with us, it is not biblical. Okay? So, God is always the initiator. He is always the pursuer. How many folks remember in the garden? Adam and Eve. Eve, Adam. Let me say, let's not say Adam and Eve. Let's just say Adam. Adam had sinned. 
as when Adam sinned, he realized, they both realized they were naked, they were ashamed, and they covered themselves with feet leaves and hid themselves among the trees when they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God cried out and said, what? Adam, where are you? Now, notice that God did not ask that question so he could know where Adam was. He asked that question so Adam would know where he was. And it is God that is reaching out to us, and we respond to his reaching. I've heard people say this over and over and continue to say it, that they found the Lord. How many folks know the Lord was never lost? <laughs> he was never lost. He didn't need to be found. And notice that the scriptures say what? There is none that seek after God. Nobody. Nobody seeking after God. So when you encounter God, it is because he did what? He pursued you. He's pursuing you. And if we think that we have to do something in order for us to bless us, and let me ask this question. How many folk believe or even think that? Be honest. Don't raise your hand. I raise mine. We base life on performance. We do. We base life on performance. Why? Because we were taught that. We were trained that way. You do good, you get a reward. You do bad, you get punished. And we have a tendency to transfer these things that we have been taught over to God. We translate how we see mom or dad. We translate, transfer these over to God. And we see God the same way we see our parents. And we think that, I mean, you know, man, when I did bad, my mom was mad with me. And my dad was mad with me just because he was mad. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't have to do nothing wrong for him to be mad. He's just mad. He just, you know, if I, if I, if I picked up the... If I, I remember holding a paintbrush like this, and he was trying to teach me that you hold a paintbrush like this. And I'm a kid. That, that hurts. That hurts. So I grabbed the paintbrush like this, and, and you know, he, he grabbed the paintbrush out of my hand and said, hey, I told you to hold this paintbrush like this. And so to demonstrate it, he took the sand and seal that I was putting on the wood, and he painted my forehead. Yeah, he was just mad. So I had a shiny forehead. <laughs> and, and, and I grew up thinking and still suffer with it from time to time that, that God is that way that if I do good God is happy with me if I do bad God is angry with me if I don't do it just like I, God, I think God wants it God is not satisfied with me and so that would put my salvation based on what what I do that's why I put that song, uh, what is it, Jireh? That I don't have to win a trophy in order to make him proud. That I don't have to, you know, I'm, let me ask this question too. How many people have experienced one of those days, we don't have many of them, but how many folks have had one of those days where, man, I mean, everything's just going just right? I mean, you woke up that morning, you read your scriptures, I mean, you prayed your prayer, you got the word, man, and it and, and just seemed like everything was just flowing and working just right, and man, you, you didn't offend nobody. Everything just going so great, so awesome, and so good. You felt close to God, and man, 
on those days, you just feel like, man, God is just walking with you. Anybody else feel that way? Go through those days sometimes? And then you have one of those days when everything seems to fall apart. You get frustrated. You get aggravated. You say the wrong thing. You, you run out of the house. You get to pray. You get, didn't get to read the scripture. And you feel that God is what? A little distant. But how many folks know that his presence is not based upon your works? If I can work him to me, then that means I have earned his presence. He gives it to us because he's God and because he's good. Okay? So, we will always have to do something to, to get him to respond if we believe that way. But listen at this, folks. The Father has been fully satisfied, fully satisfied with the death of Jesus. Listen, folks, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, you can add to that. Nothing. Our salvation is sealed. Our, it's all taken care of. It's not by works that we are saved. I cannot be good enough. I cannot do enough. I make God happy by accepting his son and the life that his son gave for us. He wants you to see in his word and in pictures that his son's body was what? Broken and his blood was shed. And in this there's reconciliation, there's newness of life. And he wants us to receive it from him. He wants us to receive that. Okay? So after understanding what it's all about, the question we ask, can I participate in it more fully? How can I participate? participate any more fully and how can I enjoy the meaning? So what are we to do? Five things that I feel like we need to do when we take the Lord's Supper. The first one is, is to look back, to look back. And, and, and hear me good, folks. This is something that when we do communion, these are things that we need to be doing while we're doing it, okay? So first one is look back. First Corinthians 23, First part of that verse, 25, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The first thing I need to do in the Lord's Supper is do what? Is to look back. He said, In remembrance of me. I need to remember his sacrifice and think about what? What Jesus did for me on the cross. When we are doing communion, we don't need to be rambling Roman. It's not, a, it's not intermission in the service. It is a part of it, and we need to be participants of it. And one thing we need to be thinking about is remembering what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. Because I'm going to tell you, all through the week, like I said this week, I have proven this week that the Bible is true. That I am wretched and God is good. I proved that this week. I proved it. And so when, when, when I come to communion, I need to think about what Jesus did for me on the cross. I need to think about that. The bread is there to remind me that Christ was given me. The cup is reminded, there to remind me that his blood was poured out for me. And there was a distinction. He passed out the bread, and sometimes later, 
he, he brought the cup because he wanted to make a distinction between the two, okay? So the bread speaks to us about Christ's body in which he lived what? A perfect human life. Jesus lived a life that we would never, could never live, never live. Think about this. He never sinned in word, thought, or action. He always hoped, he always believed. Can you imagine living a life that way? I can't. But Jesus lived that life for us. In that body, the body of Jesus speaks of that perfect life. So the body in which he lived perfect life, it was given for us. He laid it down for us so that we may find in him what we could not accomplish and achieve on our own. That perfect life, in that body, he lived a perfect life, and he offered that life to us, and he's offering that body for us. And so often we come to the table feeling unworthy, and our Christian life is unworthy, feel the weakness of my faith, but God speaks to us in the bread. Think about when, when Jesus died, when Jesus offered his body, he was offering perfection. He was fulfilling righteousness, okay? So he reminds us that our salvation does not rest on progress that we think we've made in the Christian life. Think about the two men that went into the temple to pray. What did the first man say? I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I, I, I possess. I'm not as this publican. And he, he felt that he was right with God based on what? Based on what he did. Based on, on his work based on his giving, based on his living, when the rich young ruler came to him. And Jesus, he said, he said, good master, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, all these have I done from my youth up. What lack I yet? He thought that within himself that he had done enough where he could have salvation. It does not rest on our progress. It does not rest on the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Think about that now. That sounds like that cannot be true, but it is not resting on the work that the Holy Spirit is currently doing in you. Your salvation works and is real based on what Jesus did for you alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Okay? So no one has ever offered perfect obedience to God, and we never will. I was in the office and I heard this woman, I don't even know what she was talking about, but I heard her say those very same words. Perfect obedience. Nobody ever offered perfect obedience. Nobody. And nobody ever will. I know we think that because I had done certain things with my hand that I'm free and I've not broken the laws that some other people have. But Jesus took the valleys and made brought them up. He took the hills and brought them down. In other words, the high folks, he brought them level, and the low folk, he brought them up, and he put us all on the same playing field. He said, if a man looks on a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. If a man is angry with his brother, he's already committed murder. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not looking at the hand, I'm looking at the heart. He said, you can do these things in your heart, and it's just, you're just as guilty as the man that did it with his hand. So, how many prisoners, how many folks that should be in prison is in the house? How many folks have you killed in your mind? 
How many people have you been angry enough to kill? How many folk do you actually possibly potentially hate? I know we don't like to use that word because it's such a strong word and it seems like it does not go with the Christian life, but the truth of the matter is sometimes I'm telling you, if you don't deal with stuff, if you don't deal with stuff, it's like old food. If you don't throw it away or feed it to the dog or the birds or something, what does it do? It starts to decay and rot and corrupt. And the same way with stuff on the inside of us. If I don't deal with what's going on with me or somebody and somebody else, guess what happens? It starts to sour on the inside of you. It starts to turn rotten on the inside of you. And the next thing you know, you are in that same predicament. Jesus, the perfect life, he fulfilled that perfect life. And that was in his body. That's what he offers us. The Bible said God made Jesus who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In the cup, the cup speaks of blood poured out. Blood in the veins speaks of life. Blood poured out speaks of death. It, is, it speaks of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus' death. His fulfilling of all righteousness and his atoning for our sins. I'm telling you, when you think about when you when you when we get ready to do communion, communion, you ought to be thinking about that Jesus' blood. When we think of when we take the cup, we ought to be thinking that his blood paid the price, covered, atoned, took care of my our sin. Nothing else. Nothing else. Jesus, by right, had access to what? All of heaven. But guess what he did? Instead, he entered hell. Why? Having no sin of his own, he did what? Bore our sin. He switched positions with us. How many folk would be willing to do that? You know, the Bible says there are some that would, that would scarcely die for a righteous man. You know? And I'm going to say this with the word might in front of it. I'm going to say this with the word might in front of it. I love Sister Nunn and I might die for Might. All of this, I, and, and, and if I do, it might be by, it might be by accident. <laughs> How many folks going to intentionally, knowing that you're going to die, go in that person's place? How many people will intentionally, knowing, go in that person's place? I don't know. I don't. I think the closest we can come to that is a soldier. A soldier knows that he has the potential to die for his country. He knows that he, when he goes to the military, goes to the, to the war, that he has the possibility to die for the people in the nation. I don't know many folks that do. I know when I was going through basic training, you know what my, you know my drill sergeant told me? He said, you don't go with the idea you're going to die for your country. He said, you go and make that other guy die for his. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I like his thinking. <laughs> you know, I want to know, I'm going to die for my country. He said, no, you make the other guy die for his. Make him make sacrifice. So, Counting his righteousness as if it were mine and our sin as if it were his. When he bore our sins, he took the judgment of God 
And that's how forgiveness came into the world. Next, he said, now the next thing we need to do, we, 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 we look back. He said, now we need to look in. You need to look in. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why should we do that? Okay, that sounds good. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Why should we, why should we, why should we do that? Because the scripture says, it says, he who drink, eats and drinks of the Lord's body unworthily is guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. And then he went on after that to say, some are what? Weak. Some are sick. And some have even what? Fallen asleep, taking the Lord's blood and body unworthily. So he said, now we ought to examine ourselves. I always say this. I always say we ought to sit, we ought to ask the Holy Spirit to examine us. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be strictly honest with you. You're going to be partial with you. You're going to see some of your sins as that might not have been a sin. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you exactly what it is. So he said, now, after we look back, we ought to do what? We ought to look in. And he said, now, this is the time. Listen again, folks. If you want to know what you should be doing, this is what you should be doing when we're going through the communion service. We ought to be looking in. This is the perfect time for self-examination when I should ask myself some honest questions. What are the questions? What are the questions? Am I believing? Do I believe in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? If the answer is yes, come to the table. Come to the table. Take the bread, take the wine. If the answer is no, then you need to ask the next question, another question. Am I willing to believe in Christ now? It brings you to a place of decision. Are you going to respond? Remember now, this is an invitation to a meal. This is an invitation to a dinner that Jesus is inviting us to. Are you going to respond to that invitation or not? You may have battles in your soul, but he's inviting you at that moment. He's asking you to come and believe in him at that particular moment in time. Now, he wants you to bring your struggles and give it to him. You can bring all your issues, tell God, you need his grace, I need your help, I need your love. I want to put my trust in you. You can come like Thomas. I gotta see, I need to see, I need to experience. You can come like the man whose son was thrown into the fire, thrown into the water. You can come like him and you can come and say, I believe, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. If you're willing to believe, if you're not willing to believe, then you refuse to trust him and you willingly, willingly separate yourself from him. Willingly. Not talking about if you believe 20 years ago. Everybody got old stories, but he's talking about do you believe now, today? It's an act of faith and expression of trust. Next question you ought to ask is this. Am I repenting? Remember this, that repenting is a 
present and continuous is in a, in a present and continuous tense. Lifelong activity is something we're going to have to do until Jesus comes and gives us. The answer to that question is yes. You should come to the table. The Lord's table is for what? Sinners who feel that they their need for Jesus. Self-righteous people who think that they are saved by their works, they should not take the Lord's Supper. Here again, the man in the church. I fast twice a week. I get tired of all that I possess. I do this, I do that, I do this. The rich young ruler who obeyed all the commands, he felt like he was worthy. He had no business coming to the table of God. None whatsoever. What do we declare at the Lord's Supper? We declare, we publicly declare that we have no goodness, no righteousness. We're not worthy at all on our own. All of our hope is where? It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. If, you know, I tell people this, you know, people look at me and other people and they'll, they'll talk about people and they'll say, man, you know, they'll talk about people that drink and smoke dope and do all kind of other, other things and, and, you know, they, they, they judge them. But I tell people this, I said, the only reason why I am not under a bridge passing a joint is because of Jesus. You take Jesus away, I'm doing the same thing that they do. I'm in the same predicament that they do. The only thing that makes a difference in a Christian is Jesus. Because the Bible says like Elijah, he's subject to the same passions like we are. All of us are subject to the same passions, temptations, struggles. You know, now certain things that they can't bring to me. You know, certain things he just can't offer me. You know, like like sometimes I say, I, I tell y'all sometimes, you know, you think about, you know, the devil coming to me and, and, and I'll, I'll be sitting there in traffic light and the Wells Fargo truck passed by and the devil says, all that money in that truck, rob that truck. I mean, I know y'all don't think like this. I know, I know the devil don't tempt y'all this way. I'm just telling you how, what he does to me. I'm sitting there at the light and I'm thinking about, man, this, this truck passed by and all the money that's in that truck, or potentially, possibly could be in that truck. So I'm thinking, man, all that money. So I, and then, I, then, then, I, then I, I go through the process, I think about putting a grenade under the truck and blowing it up and flipping it over and a hole being in the bottom of it, you know, and I go up in the hole in the bottom and I get all that money and I, I take it and I hide it and I escape and then some, somewhere down the road, I see, I'm, I'm telling you, I think this all this through. And then when I get to the place where I'm caught, and then the the uh, uh, I'm in I'm in prison and I'm looking through these bars, that's when I say, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> but I have played the whole thing through in my mind. I, I went through the whole process of how I was gonna get in that truck and get that money and how I was going to have all this money, but then when it got to the part where I couldn't deal with it, that's when I removed the devil. And, and so when, we, when, when I come to the table, when I come to the table, I am publicly declaring that I have no goodness, no righteousness, no worthiness of my own. I have none. Folks, hear me good. Please listen to what I'm saying. I have Listen, folks, I have none, none, none 
All of my hope is in Jesus. I don't have any, any. I know sometimes we get like that man in the church, we think, you know, I tithe of all I possess. I go to church on Sunday, I do this, I do that, I do that. I don't do, you know, and, and sometimes when I, when I talk to people, people will literally tell you, well, you know, I, I, I try to treat everybody right, I don't do this, I don't do that. And they think that because of those things, they're okay. And the truth of the matter, if we'll tell the truth, we sometimes think that way. I'm not as bad as other men are. When the truth of the matter is, without Jesus, you are that man. You are that person. Because you're judging them, and God says, whatever you judge, you find yourself in that very same state. You, 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 you're telling the devil, what you're telling the devil is, devil, try me in this. I can pass this test. If you bring me some cocaine, I won't take it. If you bring me some money, you know, I, I hear people all the time talking about folks that go trying to win that, I think it was a billion dollars. Everybody going, crossing the line, going trying to buy a lottery ticket because they want to win that billion dollars. And everybody always say, you know, lady, lady, lady at work, you know, it was amazing to me how she said, she was talking about being in the will of God and then going to buy the ticket to win the lottery. And I think in the same conversation, she was talking about moving in with a boyfriend. So I was like, okay, in the will of God, doing what God say, and so on and so forth, and getting a lottery ticket, and my boyfriend found it after five years, gonna let me move in. I said, I was so confused. But that's how people are. They think that because they do certain things that they know is pleasing to God, they think that they're okay with God based upon those things. Read the scripture, folks. The Pharisees, some of the most considered to be in their own mind, they were considered to be some of the most righteous people in, this, in, the, in, that, in that time. But Jesus said they were like whited sepulchers. In other words, outwardly, they appear beautiful, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. In other words, he said, you're a graveyard on the inside. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that you are, all of us have no goodness, righteousness, or worthiness of our own. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care how many millions you win and how much of it you decide to give away. You have no goodness, no righteousness, no worthiness of your own. All of your hope, your salvation, is going to come through what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. And that's what your mindset needs to be when we are taking the Lord's Supper. You need to think about that. We, this is what we are saying publicly. I'm guilty. I'm sinful. I'm corrupt. And I'm naturally deserving of God's condemnation and his wrath. That's where I am. That's where I need to see myself when I'm taking the Lord's Supper. I know that we are made righteous in Christ, and I know all that. I know all that. But I'm talking about by yourself. I'm not talking about your, your good works and the good deeds and the things you do and what the scriptures say. I'm talking about the truth of it. Now, so whether we serve it or receive it, we're saying we need his mercy and the grace of God. Whether, 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 whether I'm on this end of the table or on the other end of the table, I'm saying, God, I need you. And not the ones who think they are not good enough should not take it, but those who think they are good enough. They are the ones that shouldn't take it. 
Somebody that thinks that they have passed the test. Somebody thinks that they're good enough. Not, you know, it's okay not to think that you're not good enough. It's okay. It's the person that thinks they are good enough. They should not take it. When I come to the Lord's table and I realize, that because when Peter walked in Jesus' presence, when Jesus stepped on his boat and Jesus, he's in the presence of God, he said, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, depart from me. He saw who he was. When Isaiah saw God, the Spirit of God in the temple, he said, he said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God sent the coals from the fire and touched his lips and he said, oh, then he went from that to send me. But it took a work of God for him to get to that place. And we should be the same way knowing that we are not good enough. There's nothing wrong with not being good enough. It's when you think that you're good enough when you got a problem. In order to receive his mercy, we have to be ready to give up our sin. God is willing and ready to take any sin that you are ready to give up. But he cannot take the one you refuse to give up. He will not take the one that you refuse to give up. And when I refuse to give up, I willingly, willingly separate myself from him. I put myself in conflict with him when I refuse to give it up. I should not come if I refuse to give up my sin. Not referring to sin that people are struggling with. There are some people that are praying and asking God to help me. God, I've been trying to shape this and break this. I'm not talking about the person that's crying out to them and calling to them about their sin. I'm talking about the people that's comfortable with me. You cannot be in fellowship and conflict with God at the same time. I can't be loving my sin and say I'm fellowshipping with God. That puts me in conflict because I'm not willing to give it up. But I am I can I cannot be in fellowship with him when I'm in conflict with him. It's impossible. So how can we look at the cross of Jesus and know that it was my sin? Know that it was my sin that put him there and refuse to give it up. How can we do it? Can we do it? The third thing we need to do, we look back, we look in, now we need to look up. We don't have a physical presence of Christ, but we need to look up to him in faith. It is a meal that they shared with Jesus, shared in fellowship with Christ, and so it is with us. We're doing the exact same thing, but we have to do it by faith. They did it in person. And, and you got to think about this, these disciples, who they were, and they were sitting at the table and Jesus was saying all this stuff, they sitting there knowing who they were in the same way. So this is our opportunity to come to him in faith and to find strength for our souls. This is our time. It is God speaking to us so that we can draw near to him. It is him speaking to us. It is him calling Adam from among the trees. It is him calling him from hiding and covering himself and trying to conceal himself and, 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 and fool God in, in truth what he's trying to do. The picture is eating a meal. The message is, just as food sustains the body, so Christ sustains the soul, and we desperately need this. These are the things, looking up to him, looking up to him, these are the things that we need to be thinking. These are the things that we need to be meditating on. These are the things we need to be calling on Jesus for when we are going through the communion service. 
Some have come and their faith is weak, need to be strengthened. Some have come, their love is running dry, they need to be renewed. Hope has been shattered, they need to be rebuilt. How does that happen? How does it happen? You draw near to the risen Lord, you draw near to Jesus, and you draw strength from him as he speaks to you in your soul. You'll find new confidence, you'll find new love, you'll find new peace, and you'll find joy in the Holy Spirit. When we, we're in the community service and we are spending this time fellowship with the Jesus. It's like going to a restaurant and the menu is in another language. This is what it's like. The, the, the waiter comes to the table and he understands the menu and he stands there and he explains to you he explains to you what the menu is. He tells you about his experiences. He tells you how good food is, how awesome it is, how good it is, how great it is. And after he explains the menu and tells you of his experiences, you pick up all your stuff, close the menu, and you get up and walk out the restaurant. Why did you go? So that you can understand the menu? So that you can hear about how good the food was? No, you went to do what? Went to eat. I went to eat a meal. And, and so that's, that's, what, that's what it's like for us. The word says Christ will feed your soul. The Lord's Supper is the same thing in a picture. You need to order what's on the menu. When you come to the Lord's table, it's not to come so he can explain to you how good he is. He can explain to you how awesome he is. He can tell you all this stuff that's available and for you to get up and leave. No, he wants you to come to the table and say, hey, give me a, a real vibe, medium well. I, I want what you got. I don't want to just read about it. I don't want to just see it. I need it. I need it. Tell him what you need in your life. Tell him you're hungry for a fresh touch of his love in your soul. Tell him you want to see more of his glory in your life. Come to the table and Jesus is considered to be your host and he is, he has a menu and he wants you to order from the menu. Tell him you need to be renewed in your faith and your love. Come to him. Look up. Order what he's put on the menu. Ask that what he has promised will be yours. Ask him for what he's promised to be yours. The next thing is, look back. We looked in. We looked up. And now we're going to look around. Okay? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is you. Do this in remembrance of me and I have you in blue for a reason. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is for what? You, okay? The word you in this verse is plural. It's for us. It's for the community of disciples in Christ. We have gathered together in his presence. It is for us, okay? We don't have communion on our own. It's for the family, like a family gathering. It's like thanksgiving to the Lord. It's like thanksgiving. And he has all of his children together. It's not about enjoying the food. It's about 
family being together. So when you take communion, he says, now, don't just look back. Don't just look in. Don't just look up. He said, look around. He said, look around. It's a, a family being together. And then he said, there's a greater joy for the parents seeing the family together and seeing them enjoying each other. How many parents have had all of their children in the house at one time? And you get to see them. And you get to see them interacting with each other. And they're laughing and they're talking about old times. They're reminiscing, playing games, they're having fun. Whatever it is that they're doing, the parents get joy out of seeing their children do what? Fellowship together and love each other. You know? So it's not just a time for us to look back. not just a time for us to look in. It's not just a time for us to look up. It's a time for us to look around. And when we look around, what do we, what do we need to see? That's some things we need to observe when we see. You know, when I look around the church, and I'm, I'm getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, I need to look around and see, is there anybody in here that I'm mad with? Is there, any, is there anybody in here that, you know, because the Father wants to see the family together. He wants to see them in unity. He wants to see them enjoying him and enjoying each other. So in, in the communion service, I need to just take a glimpse around the church and say, you know, is there anybody here I'm at an odds with, I'm in strife with? If it is, I need to be working on that in my heart. I need to be saying, God, ah, real or imagine. You know, because most of our issues are stuff we think in our head. I look at certain people, man, you don't, they don't like me. They don't even know you. How many folks have met folks you didn't like for no reason? I meet them every day. I meet them every day. This guy on my job, man, my first day, my first day back over going back to this particular line, I was over there on the line. This guy came up talking to me, and it was just something about him. And it still is. I ain't figured it out yet. It still is something about this guy I don't like. There's something about him I don't like. I'm learning what it is. I'm learning that he don't know his job, and he's trying to snow me into believing that he does. And that makes me mad. So, um, it, it's, and, and, and I met people that I didn't like for no reason. No reason. They had, we didn't even spoke, we hadn't even talked. But I don't like this person. And y'all can act like it don't happen in the church, but I know it does. I know it does. I know little things happen and they turn to big things. I don't like the way they looked at me. You know, he looked at me a certain way and probably wasn't even looking at you. You know, and we have these little things going on, you know, and we have these little issues and things we're going on. You know, he said this and I don't like the way he said it. No evil intent on the person that's speaking. But something in your heart that's actually causing you to believe that he has evil intent toward, towards you. Those are the things that I need to look around and I need to say, God, uh, me and so-and-so, you know, I don't like him, even though he ain't said nothing to me, ain't done nothing to me. I just don't like him. Deal with it. Ask God to help you. If there's something that you know about, this is our time for us to do an, a, a, a Holy Spirit examination. I started to say self-examination, but a Holy Spirit examination. This is our time for the Holy Spirit to say, man, this is the family of God. These are my brothers and sisters. This is my family. But I don't even like my brother over there. 
And I know this happens in family because the devil is out and he hates unity. And I'm going to tell you something. He hates unity, folks. He hates it. Why? Because there's power in unity. He don't want us to get along. That's why there's so much strife in the United States of America. And there's nothing united about us except for these people don't like those people. I mean, we united against them in the same country. We united against the management on the job. We united against the, 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 the staff or, the, or, the, or the, the teachers and the principals in the school system. We united against the government. We are, yeah, we united, but none of us are united together. None of us are united. I don't even know why. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good prophecy. United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible. I ain't even been, I ain't been, I ain't been in that country yet. With liberty and justice for all. I ain't, I ain't, I, I want to go to that nation. I want to live in a country like that. This is not where we live. And it's not that way. And I'm telling you, the devil is working the same mess in the church. Because if he can divide us, he can conquer us. He can defeat us. We can speak the name of Jesus all we want. But if I can't speak to you, you can forget speaking the name of Jesus. If I got something in my heart against somebody, then I have a problem and I'm separating myself not only from them, but I'm breaking the fellowship between me and my God. Because he tells us what to do now. He said, now if you got a problem, go to your brother. He, he said, and then, and then even if you don't go, even if you don't go, it is your responsibility to forgive. He said, forgive as I have forgiven you. And let me say this, while I'm on the subject, might as well get all the hair off the hall by the water hot. <laughs> Forgiveness is not an option. It's not an option. It's not what I do when I feel like it. You know, I hear people say that all the time. You know, I want to forgive them, but I ain't feeling it. It's not an option. It's a command. And let me tell you something. God does not command feelings. He commands action. In other words, I can't look at Mary and say, cry. He's going to look at me like, for what? You cannot command emotion. But I can look at her and say, stand up. I can command action. And that's what God has commanded. He's not commanding you to feel a certain way. He's commanding you to do what he's saying. So as an act of my will, I choose to forgive. I ain't got to feel nothing. And then I need to ask God to heal the hurt that was caused by what was done to me. I need to do that. And Jesus is going to do that washing on the inside of you that you need. Because he wants his family together. If we're not together, and, and together don't mean all in the same building. That's what the world thinks. They think when we gather, we gather together. No, no, that ain't that ain't all it is to it. When the when the apostles gathered, when the, when the 120 gathered together in the upper room, the Bible said they were in one accord, in one mind, and in one place. That takes the work of the Holy Spirit. That takes people not wanting to be selfish, not to be proud, not to think I'm somebody, I'm better than you, I'm greater than you, or I'm less than you, whatever the case may be. We're all on the self, same level, the same playing field. And it is for us to come to church and to enjoy each other. And I'm going to tell you this, while the water's still hot, I, wanna, I see a couple more hairs on it. Let me get these off too. 
All of this stuff that we got and deal with is stupid. It's stupid. And I'm going to tell you, it's stupid because the devil is doing it. He's doing it because he wants to divide. He wants to separate. He don't want us to be, he don't want, want us to be a unit. Unit means power. Unit means it's over for him. That's when it's over for him, when we can unify with each other against him and not unify with him against others. And don't act like we don't do it. Yes, we do. We side with the devil all day, every day. We, we, we agree with him. Look at him. They think they better than you. And we stand over here with him looking at him like he told me to look over there at him. And I'm thinking what he's telling me. And God said, no place for that in my house. The dad, daddy said, daddy sets the tone. Not us. Daddy sets the tone. He said, I don't want any of that in my house. I'm a Blue Blood fan. I, I watch Blue Blood. And, 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 and he had two brothers you know, at the table. They were arguing. They were fussing. He said, be silver. Get up and get out of my house. They both got up and left. <laughs> they, they eventually got back together, but I'm trying to get you to see that God feels the same way. Be civil. I'm not asking you. Love is not an emotion. I don't have to feel love to love you. Now, my feelings will follow my actions. I can't do nice things to you and still hate you because if I start doing what Jesus said, now listen to me, folks. Don't go try to do something on your own to demonstrate love. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into what you need to do to demonstrate that love. And as you do those things, the Holy Spirit, God will start to change your heart about what's going on because you have to obey the command. He said, when he said love him, he, he's not telling you to feel something. He's telling you to do something. And too often we base love with a feeling. And we think that if we don't feel it, we can't do it. We call ourselves hypocrites because we don't feel it. It ain't got nothing to do with God. Obeying God is doing what he says, not based on how you feel. And if you do what he says, your feelings will eventually follow. Okay? So he wants us to enjoy each other. This is where the wall falls. There's no old, no young, no black, no white, no rich, no poor, no pastor, or lay person. We all receive the same invitation. We come to the same Savior. We come with the same needs, and we all come to the same supply. This is where the walls, this is where the walls fall. It don't matter what your position is, no matter how much money you got in the bank, every one of us are in this same predicament. Jesus didn't send an invitation with gold. Your invitation got gold on it, and mine that's on a plain piece of paper. All of them the same way. He said, come, I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to feed you. You need me. Come to me. Every one of us, that's where he wants us to be. Look around. Give thanks for the family of God. Pray for somebody that's near you. Pray God's blessing on them. While we're doing the communion service, look around. Look around. You see somebody that might not look like they're feeling up to par, going through something, dealing with difficulty, or the Holy Spirit points somebody out to you, pray for them. 
Pray for them. Pray God's blessing on them. Ask God to give you a word of, of encouragement to somebody that he might bring to your mind. Love and bless one another. Bring joy to the Father. Bring joy to him. And last thing, we need to look forward. Not only do we look back, not only do we look in, not only do we look up, not only do we look around, we need to look forward. He said, for whatever you eat, when, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 26. He said, now we are proclaiming God's death until he comes. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are saying we are not good enough for God. And we need this death. We need what Jesus, we're relying on the death of God's son for our salvation. Die for every person. And if you're not saved, why won't you come here today? So that you can receive the benefit of the life that flows from his death. You can receive those benefits. We are to remember. We need to remember. We need to look in. We need to look back. We need to look in. We need to look up. We need to look around. We need to look forward. And how long we need, do we do we need to do it? Until he comes back. Until he comes again. We need to continue to do this. This is our obligation and responsibility of what we need to do while we are doing the communion service. We need to do these things. We need to let the Holy Spirit do this so that we can enter fully into and reap the full benefits of what God has done for us on Calvary's cross. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you. We thank you first in, in recognition of your sacrifice, the giving of your life, the giving of your life, the shed broken body, that perfect body was given for us, that shed blood that was poured out for us so that we can live. You substituted and took our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just or the unjust, so that we could be reconciled to you. I pray for the body. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to do these things, to look back, to look in, to look up, to look around, and to look forward. And Father, I thank you that as we prepare in weeks to come, for the communion service that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to our remembrance so that we can do these things and enter more fully into your presence and receive all the blessings and the benefits that comes from Jesus' death on Calvary's cross. We bless you for it. We praise you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.